Saul as part of the team that went, um, and uh, part of the purpose of going on this trip was, uh, one, it's sort of in my wheelhouse of uh, just enjoying uh, evangelism and being able to, to share the gospel with people, but also as an exploratory trip, uh, as p- a potential trip that maybe more from our church would, would want to go uh, either on this trip or other trips that uh, E3 Partners was the organization, uh, other trips that they take uh, all around the world. So uh, a question I've gotten often since I've been back, would you go again? Uh, yes, uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, yes, I would go again. Uh, and uh, would this be a trip that, that, that others, that you would want to take others from our church? And, and yes. So uh, as I'm speaking and sharing, even this morning or other conversations, if, if, if you feel like, boy, this, I would love to go on a trip like this, um, uh, let me know. And um, love to see how that, the Lord would open that door and facilitate that. Uh, you just saw a quick, like what, three-minute glimpse. And, and how do you, how do you uh, bring back the experience uh, of what you went through on a trip like this, and in many ways you, you can't duplicate that, um, but you, you got a little bit of a taste uh, of what some of the setting was like, what some of the situation, what some of the people look like, and I'm going to share uh, several other stories, but um, m- many more could be shared. What I want to do, though, is if you would turn to Matthew chapter 28, the Gospel of Matthew 28, Page number 835, if you're using a Bible that's supplied for you, there's going to be maybe three or four different passages we turn to, and we're going to ultimately make a full circle back to the scripture that Terry read for us from the book of Ephesians as we end up. But I want to start in, in Matthew 28. And we have before us a very familiar portion of scripture that we'll, we'll read in just a few moments But before we do that, I do want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Spirit to be at work and the Word to come alive uh, and our hearts to be changed. So let's bow in prayer together. God, we pray just that, that your Word would come alive to us, that it would be real, that it would be powerful, that it would change us, that we would be obedient to it. Uh, open our eyes to what you're doing in this world, not just here in this moment, but from the beginning. And uh, Lord, take, take the word and apply it to each and every heart that's here today. Thank you for the, the opportunity to experience ministry with different cultures and different people. Thank you that we, we can go Uh, across the country into another country and find like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ and just have hearts that are knit together on the same mission because your kingdom is not bound to this place, this location. Uh, Your kingdom is spread and is spreading to the ends of the earth. And uh, what a just a joy and a privilege to be part of the mission that you've called us to. And uh, so guide my words and my thoughts and use these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to thank you for the opportunity to go on this trip. Um, But as I thought about this trip and I thought about what do I want to share today, the question came to my mind, you know, why does this church exist? This church here. Um, It's a question that maybe we should ask more often uh, uh, for ourselves uh, CBC was established in 1840. Many of you know that. It's got a long history. Some, some of it good, some of it maybe less than good. Um, a church is, an institu- is not an institution that arrives and, and like we, we get to the point where we don't have any 
problems and we don't have any struggles. The, the church is a, a living organism, spiritual organism that is growing, that is learning, that is, that is adapting to different cultures, but still holding true to the same message. And so if you're here for the first time in our church, if maybe you're new to church, we don't, we don't come here as a church and think that we that, that we have arrived, that we don't have anything uh, to, to, um, to grow in, to think that we, we don't have struggles. We, we know we have struggles. We know that we fail. We know that we sin, but we don't excuse our sin. Rather, we do recognize it for what it is, that it's an offense against the holy God, that there is only one way to have our sin forgiven, and that is through Jesus Christ, that, that the Bible clearly teaches that we can't undo our sin. And so we come to God in repentance and faith in what Jesus has done, and, and God, we believe, the Bible teaches very clearly, became like us in flesh and never committed a sin. This is the person of Jesus. Yet he went to a cross and he died a death, not because of his sin, but for our sin. And he takes our sin and he gives us his perfection, his righteousness. And then he calls us together in local places, local churches. Uh, This is what he's done for us. This is what he's done to us. Jesus has died for us and made us right with God and called us into this local church. But, But why does this church exist? Is it because we've existed for such a long time and we just, we got to keep the ball rolling? Like 1840, that's a a great testament to longevity. And so we don't want to see that that fail, so we just got to keep it going. Is it because we're a positive asset to the community? You know, we we do good things in the community, so we need to keep existing and, and being. You know, every church needs to ask this foundational question why do we exist? And then we need to look to God's word for the answers. Now, through the years, several, uh, many Christians have given answers to this question. Some would say, well, the church exists to evangelize. We exist simply, mainly to bring the good news of the gospel to, to a lost world. We, we, we need to center everything and all of our energies on this. But some have said, well, no, the church is, exists to disciple the disciple believers, that, they, that believers would grow in the truth and the knowledge of God and grow in their love for God and their worship of Him. And while I think we would agree that those things make up part of why the church exists, those things in and of themselves are, are not the sole reason. Uh, in fact, Terry in his prayer alluded to what I think we find in the Scriptures is the reason for the existence of our church. The local church exists to bring glory to God. That, that is why we exist. And, and there's, there's three primary ways that I think Scripture gives as to, to how, what that looks like. How do we bring glory to God? First of all, we bring glory to God by worshiping Him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 28, it says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We bring glory to God as we gather and worship to Him, as we worship Him, as we go about our day-to-day life as a church. The church just doesn't meet here on Sunday, and then we disperse, and we cease to be the church. We continue to be the church, and we continue to worship God with our lives. I think another reason the church, uh, another thing that we see in Scripture, how we bring glory to God is seeing believers grow in their faith. That element of discipling, discipleship. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 12 to 13 to what, what is the purpose of, of the gifts of leadership that God gives to the church, pastors and those. It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you see that element of discipleship. But also we bring glory to God when we tell others about Him. And this is where I want to read for us Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So do you see our purpose in bringing glory to God? It is, it is upward worship. It is inward in discipleship. It is outward in evangelism. All three of those components must make up our goal to bring glory to God. So the, 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 the purpose of the church, why do we exist, is to bring glory to God through the outworking of these three things. And of course, they're all intertwined together. How do you disciple people unless you're teaching them to evangelize, unless they're growing in worship? How do you evangelize unless you're, you're seeing people discipled and, and, and worshiping God and seeing his beauty and his glory as we sung about the king and all of his beauty? And out of that heart, we, we tell others, we evangelize. And so they're all intertwined together. And yet at its core, it is to bring glory to God. And that, and, and that may seem like, well, you're just kind of splitting hairs, but if we leave out the glory of God and that is being our purpose, we will quickly find ourselves, as many churches have, abandoning truths of the faith in order to, to gain an audience with the world, in order to accomplish this other purpose that we see over here, but we, we, we set aside bringing God glory. So that is the overarching mission of our church. But as followers of Jesus, he's given us, I said, upward and inward discipleship mission, but an outward mission. And, it, and, and it's essential, this outward focus to the fulfilling of our purpose to bring glory to God. God isn't working in our lives so we can hide in a corner and kind of keep the spiritual spoils to ourselves. God has saved us to be at work, to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. And in fact, we, we enjoy more fully our spiritual blessings and our spiritual spoils when we see other people enjoying those things as well, coming to understand those things. And so here, Jesus famously in Matthew 28 tells his disciples, tells us, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And I, wanna, I, want, I want to keep this command in the background, but I want to back up in the story. I, I want us to, to zoom out and see the, the, the forest and not just this individual command, but, but, but the forest being that it will lead us to this command because long before Jesus gives this mission to his disciples, long before that, we see the mission of God unfolding. And we're going to look at some, some significant key text leading up to Jesus' life and ministry. And then, of course, I mentioned we'll end in Ephesians, so even beyond Jesus' earthly life. But turn with me to Genesis 3.15. This is where we're going to begin this morning. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. You say, well, the mission of God starts all the way back at the beginning. Yeah, well, it starts at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not by accident, but he had a plan. But we're going to jump into chapter 3. And you know this story. Adam and Eve disobey God in the garden when they're told to not eat of the fruits. And they do anyway. But here in chapter 3, in verse number 15, we have in this chapter the first gospel being proclaimed. Right here in the middle of God's pronounced curse upon the serpent, Genesis 3.15 says, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God's mission after the fall, after humanity falls into sin, is now to triumph over his enemy. He, he would send an offspring that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And that serpent, yes, would, would bruise the heel. We see that in, in Christ going to the cross. But Jesus would rise again, and this offspring would crush the head of the serpent. So God's mission early on is to defeat Satan. 
Yes, it was Adam and Eve's sinful action, and that was their rebellion against God that, that plunged the world into sin. But who was the architect? Satan was the architect. Architect. He was the one that came to Eve and tempted her to rebel against God. And it was God's plan to destroy Satan. But it was Satan's plan to destroy God's good creation, his perfect creation, And a world that was full of light and full of perfection is now plunged into darkness. You know, on this trip, I saw a lot of darkness. In fact, before I even got into Mexico, before I left the airport in McAllen, Texas, which is right on the border, uh, here here is this this, uh, tribute, I don't know what you call it, uh, to the Day of the Dead uh, being coming that had just passed now, but at the time was a, a, just a few days away. Here in our own country, uh, here we are. Uh, it, it was a little shopping area, but but you can just you can you can see the, these kind of displays were all over that celebrating the Day of the Dead. Darkness, death is separation from God, and yet. We live in a world that celebrates this, that Satan is influenced. Uh, right across, so you, you come across the border, you walk across the border there, coming from McAllen, Texas, and going into Reynosa, Mexico. And as you get off of the, the walkway and you sit, stand there on the street, you, you right across the street, a, a, a shop with all kinds of different idols. I was just talking uh, to someone before the, the, the service. Uh, just a mixture of uh, Christianity in the, in the form of Roman Catholicism and really idolatry. And the strangest things, you have statues that look like demons uh, next to statues that I think are depicted to, to be saints or uh, somewhat spiritual or angels. But you have idolatry all over you think about the darkness in our world. Here, here's a picture. Uh, these, these were a few of the team members from our team uh, and standing in front of the border wall. So you think like, well, what does the wall look like? This is at least in this section, uh, just metal um, beams going up and you can kind of get a sense of how high it is. Uh, have a, a, a longer view picture is just out in the distance, but you, can, you could see, and you could see it for kind of as far as your eye could see, the wall going out. Uh, you see here on the left side uh, is, is where some of the cars would drive through if you were crossing the border, and then when, as you walked across, you went through this, um, this, this kind of makeshift building. Um, what, 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 was, what was interesting was going into Mexico... I never showed my passport once, uh, but coming out of Mexico, yeah, I had to show it. You just had to put your baggage on these conveyors that they would scan. But you, but you ask yourself, why do we even have a border? It's because of the brokenness of sin. It, sin doesn't just destroy our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with each other. Prejudice and injustice exist because of sin. Now, now, this is not to say, and don't misunderstand, I'm not saying we, we, we shouldn't have borders. They're, they're a necessary component to a world and to nations and security and safety. But why do these borders even exist? It's because sin is broken. God created a world in unity, in perfection. And Satan is a divider. And through sin has worked to divide the creation of God look at the houses. These, these, these were in the houses in Mexico, and not all were like this, but this, this was on the back road to the camp, and so I'm, I was guessing that this was more of the, a poorer area uh, of Mexico that we were in, but you just see poverty, the lack of resources to, to, to care for yourself, to, to live in a way that, that at least we would think uh, is, is acceptable, having enough food and all of the rest but you just see the poverty and the brokenness all around. You come to the camp, and this was, uh, there was a couple vehicles that, that, we, that, that took the group. And uh, so you can see the, the, 
the gate there that would go into the camp, and, and that's, that's the extent of the walls, and they would come and they would open the gate, but why, are, why do they have walls in these refugee camps? Uh, to keep out violence, to keep out crime. In fact, when you would go into the camp right on the side, there was in, uh, in Spanish, so we had one of the, the people try to translate uh, for us as we, were, as we were riding in the car. What, what are these rules? It was almost like a list of 10 commandments, but there were more than 10. Uh, but no drugs, no alcohol, no weapons of any kind, or, or you would be potentially kicked out of the camp. But why, are these, why, why do they have to wall themselves in to keep out the crime and the violence? You get into the camp and um, just filled with, you know, you know it's there, you can't really maybe see it, but disease... Um, there, were, there was uh, w- one of the, the people that, um, actually I'll, I'll share about him, but he was our translator, and he was only there for a couple days, and he was showing his son had a rash that had broken out on his arm, uh, but disease all around. There, there is a group there called Doctors Without Borders that had a, 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 an area set up to the one side of the camp that they, that, that they could go to, uh, if they had any medical concerns, but disease, where does that come from? It all comes from sin. Uh, you had people from all over uh, the place. Here's just a, a few more pictures of the camp. Uh, some, of the, some of the people were in uh, tents. Some of them, many of them were in just like, it would be like, think about this this is like a tent, but enlarged a little bit, and they would just sleep. You had, you had a square uh, or, or a couple blankets laid out, and that was your spot on a cement floor. Um, you can see some of the people here. This was a Haitian uh, group of people that, that uh, my partner and I, uh, Sophia, got to minister to. But you have people from Haiti and you know what was common throughout all these people groups? They, they were all in darkness, whether they were from Haiti. Um, one of the men here from Haiti, got a picture here. You see him, uh, right? So, so I'm on the one end in the blue shirt, and my, my partner for the, for the time we were there uh, was Sophia. And I'll tell you about her a little bit later. Um, so, so we would partner together with a translator, and we would, we would go around to different uh, tents or where people were, and we would just start talking with them. But the, the man next to Sophia, his name is Carvin, and uh, uh, he was from Haiti. That was his family. Uh, there was a couple nephews in there. His wife was 32 weeks pregnant, uh, which is crazy to be in a camp uh, that, the, in, in that regard. But uh, we had noticed, man, there's, there's like seven or eight Haitian, particularly the Haitians, not only Haitians, but the Haitian women uh, were pregnant. And so finally, somebody or one of us asked like uh, something about them being pregnant. And uh, they said, well, you know, we have heard that if you're pregnant, you know, you, you get, you'll get processed as a refugee and be accepted into the States quicker. Uh, but when you're pushing 32, one was 36 weeks, Maybe you're second-guessing that decision as you're laying on a cement floor. Um, but the first day that we were there, so, we, so we, I landed late on Thursday, later than I was supposed to. Uh, I Ubered to meet the team right at the border, and we crossed over. We, so it was like hit the ground running. We crossed over into the border, border met the team along the way got to know my partner uh, who had been assigned to me prior to me arriving. And uh, we, we get there in the camp and we don't, uh, me, me and Sophia, we don't have a, a translator. And uh, so we're, we're paired up with another team, another two other people. But it was very awkward. There's like, there's like five of us. And uh, so by the end of, we, we, got a, we got about a half a day in, and then we came back out uh, into Texas for the evening. And uh, as, as me and Sophia were talking, and she said, we need to really just pray for our own translator tomorrow, because that, that, was, that was not uh, ideal. And it, and it, it was just, it, it wasn't, wasn't good. So we, I said, yes, I, I agree. So let's pray for a translator. Let's pray for a translator. Well, by the morning, I, I then shared with her, you know, I just, man, we kept walking around yesterday and, and, and your, most of your translators are Spanish-speaking uh, people, pastors from local churches or their church members that will come in and translate with the team there. And uh, I said, but I, I just kept feeling bad. Like, 
we're just kind of passing past these Haitian people uh, because we can't, we, they speak Haitian Creole and, and we don't have a translator. We, we can't speak that. And she said, well, I was sensing the same thing. You just kind of wave to them, but it's almost like they're left out. And um, so we, we were praying for a translator. We were praying for a way to speak to the Haitians and we arrive and, uh, and they were dividing up translators with the different the, the team groups and uh, the, the leader, uh, Osbaldo, he said, you know, we, we have Carveen here, and uh, he's willing to be a translator for us. He lives in the camp, and he, he's from Haiti, and, and me and Sophia said, we'll take him. <laughs> so we focused on uh, talking to the Haitian people. Uh, he, was, he actually, Carvin worked as a translator in Haiti uh, via telephone for, like, Haitians in, in America, and uh, so we used him as our translator, but just an, a neat way to see how the Lord answered prayer, not only for a translator, but a way to communicate with a people group that was still kind of feeling like in the minority uh, in, in that setting. Uh, so, but Carvin and his family, um, he, he heard the gospel because uh, we, we share the gospel with people. So people have asked, like, so what did you do on this trip? Did you, like, build things or something? No, we, we, we shared the gospel, um, and, and that, was, that was really all. We did bring food in and things as we were able to carry across. Uh, men like Alberto. Alberto, uh, on the left there in the yellow vest. I'm going to single him out. Uh, a man from uh, uh, Venezuela. Uh, the leaders in the camps had these yellow vests on. So as far as we could understand, and I had thought that the, the Mexican government uh, so, sort of ran these camps and facilitated things, uh, but that is not the case. Uh, the, the camps were built by a Christian organization at some point several years ago, um, and it's really just organizations that uh, help uh, fund it, or bring food in, or the people there are, are, you're just kind of on your own. But when they were talking about you, you come to the gate and they're, you know, they, 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 the guards open the gate, I'm picturing like military guards. Well, it's just, it's just these kind of guys in yellow vests that like assume the role of leader while, while they're in the camp. Um, but Alberto, and I'll, and I'll share more about him a little bit later. Uh, men like Bomaro uh, and his family, his wife, there, I don't remember her name, and his, his young daughter coming from Venezuela uh, in tears telling his story that he left uh, a good job, uh, but the violence had gotten so bad that they, the, the cartel was coming up to people on the street asking for money, and if you said you didn't have any or no, uh, they were just shooting people, and they said, we need to leave. I need to leave for the safety of my family. Uh, not necessarily um, by a choice that he wanted. But we could go on and on about the brokenness of this world, but it is a world under the control of Satan. 1 John 5, 19. He is at work to blind the minds of those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. We see it in Mexico. We see it in the United States. We see it in our families. We see it all around us. But since the fall, God was on a mission to defeat his enemy, Satan. Now I want to turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to fast forward in the story. Looking at the, this, this mystery that Paul talked about in Ephesians, but the unfolding of God's mission. So he, he defeats, his mission is to defeat his enemy, Satan. And then in chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 to 3, God graciously calls out Abram and gives him a promise. And here's this account in Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's blessing, he promises, would come to Abraham, Abram, or Abraham, as he'll later be renamed, 
by making Abram into a great nation, by making his name great. But you'll notice what's at the end. This promise wasn't just for Abram, but God is going to use Abram so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. This mysterious mission of God is being revealed even more. It's not just defeating his enemy, but now it's calling a people out to himself. These rebels at the beginning that rejected God's rule in their lives, God is now going to call a people out to himself. And though they have rebelled against him, though they are like the enemies, uh, the enemy of God, they are like Satan. That's what Romans 5.10 tells us as sinners. We are, in, we, we are enemies to God, yet he calls us out. He is going to redeem a people back to himself. This is the promise to Abram. And you'll notice the Gentiles are part of this promise from the beginning, this plan, this mission. It's not just about the Jewish people, but it's about the Gentiles as well. You see glimpses of this even in our series in Joshua with Rahab. You see it in the people of Nineveh in the story of Jonah, that God is, is a God that's on mission for the peoples of the world. So God hasn't just left this world to live in rebellion. No, he knows that the end of that road, the rebellious road, leads to death. James 1.15, sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. God knows that. So Satan's plan, as we think about what was Satan trying to do, it wasn't just to bring problems into the world. It was to, to separate God from his creation. Sin brings separation. And Satan continues to be at work to keep people in darkness, keep people separate from God. But God is at work to bring a people to himself. And yet we find, like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, here's the state of humanity. In our natural state, you are dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following, notice this, this, this is how bad we are, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's people still in rebellion, in darkness. People like you see in these pictures, this was one of the main gathering tents, not where people would sleep, but there was a, in the back wall there, you could see there was like a kitchen area where people would prepare food uh, on the right, on the, le- yeah, the right side, there was these water tanks, uh, how they would get clean water there. People like these kids in darkness, following the prince of the power of the air, All of these people living in darkness, you see there, even as they're cutting hair, uh, on, on the, the people there sitting on the ground, the man with the hat, his name was Nick. He was from the church in Austin, uh, a neat guy. He was a, a Ukrainian, went through all kinds of crazy things his family did as far as uh, being refugees themselves and getting to the States many years ago, but he spoke Russian. Uh, and the camp, there's two camps, uh, refugees camps there. I only went to the one camp, uh, but there was the, the other camp. Um, <clears throat> Nick and a few others went into that camp because there were Russian-speaking people there. And so the guy that he's speaking with there uh, is, is a Russian, and he had a burden to minister to them as well. But you see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in darkness. You see, Satan is no respecter of persons. He is an equal opportunity destroyer. He doesn't discriminate based on age or race, ethnicity, gender, whatever the case might be. He seeks to destroy. And sometimes, sometimes he even uses good things to keep people in darkness. You can't, it's hard to see, maybe you could see it. But here's, here's some houses, and I say houses, we're talking about like what your shed would be like. 
okay, that were built. And you think, well, that's great. There's some people that aren't just living in tents or living in these houses, uh, but stamped on the side is, is the, the symbol for the Latter-day Saints charities. I didn't get a great picture. Uh, it was kind of blurry um, there. But the Mormons came in and built these structures, these houses, uh, and, and also were talking to these refugees, and you think, well, where, where is the church? Because Satan will use even seemingly good things, but that don't follow and don't believe in Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of the Bible anyway, to deceive people and keep them in darkness. But praise be to God for verses like Acts chapter 10 and verses 34 to 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation. Think about these these all-encompassing words, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see, in every nation, God's word is true. He is also no respecter of persons. And if people, wherever they're at in any nation, if they turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus, they will be saved. Eternal life is freely available to all peoples. Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples of all nations. God's promise to Abram is that all peoples of the earth would be blessed. And it's ultimately through Abram's offspring, Jesus, that this blessing comes about. He's the way of salvation. And it's, it's such an amazing thing that God would call people out and redeem them from sin. But you know what's even more amazing? That God would not only call people out and redeem them from sin, but would then give those same people, undeserving people, the chance to proclaim the good news to others. People like, people like Sophia. So there we are, we're, we're sitting and we're sharing. Uh, she's sharing the gospel with some Haitian people. But Sophia was, a, was, was an interesting story herself. When I first met her, I said, well, how, how did you come to, to know Christ as, as your Savior? And she said, well, do you remember uh, when Sam, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait? And I said, well, yeah, actually I do. I, I'm maybe like 12 or something. But yeah, she said, oh, good. Because a lot of people don't re- remember that. Early 90s, uh, her family, her mom and her brother, and, and uh, yeah, her, her, her mom and her brother came over to the States to visit, just to visit, uh, see, see America from Kuwait. And w- like within days, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait, and they have no way of getting back. And her dad stuck over there. Her dad be- becomes... Uh, caught up in all the things, is captured, goes through insane uh, things before he is, was released and brought over to the States himself. But a, a Muslim background, while she was in the States, someone shared the gospel with her. She came to know Jesus as Savior and uh, decided to follow Jesus. And in the process, her family kicked her out. Her uncle turned her in to the Kuwait. Uh, government as a convert, which means that if she ever goes back to Kuwait, she would be arrested immediately, uh, but left it all to follow Jesus and now actually works with E3 partners um, as a missionary primarily to Middle Eastern countries. She'll go to Pakistan and, and Israel and Iraq even and share the gospel with uh, uh, Arabic-speaking people. But he uses people like Sophia. He uses people like this man, and I don't know his name. Uh, I didn't work with, with, with this couple. Uh, but here is a man in the camp, a believer, sharing the gospel with his wife. He uses people like Pastor Juan. And you see him there with me, short guy. Uh, he's sharing the gospel there with some kids. Uh, but he was one of the, the, the local Mexican pastors in Reynosa that... Uh, that worked with our group and will go, would go into the camps uh, a couple times a week ministering to these people. He works through people like Osbaldo. So Osbaldo is uh, the, uh, in the black shirt, uh, kind of the highest person sitting up, 
Mexican guy. You see his wife on the other side with a pink hat and glasses. Uh, they, are, they are missionaries there in Reynosa, and they, they, he, he was really kind of the, the facilitator of our group, uh, leading the group into the camp, leading things that would happen. Young guy uh, with, with a daughter um, and, and fully um, just li- living um, based on the giving of God's people, um, actually just took a part-time job to help meet some of the bills that they have, but just gives his life over to serve as a missionary in this area. And actually, uh, next week, uh, for our benevolence offering, we'll be taking it, that offering will be going to Osbaldo. Uh, but, but here's another person on the far left, Alexei. Alexei was part of the team. This was Nick, the, the, the Ukrainian man's son. He brought him and his daughter, uh, uh, he, he brought... He brought his son, Alexei, and his daughter, Anya, 14 and 16 years old. But they had a heart to share the gospel, and God was using them, redeemed them, and then called them to share the gospel. And then, of course, me. Uh, but I, I don't want this trip to be about me. It's not, it's not about me. But just to think that God would use me to share the gospel with a lost world. Uh, here's a picture someone had captured. Uh, it was Saturday afternoon uh, after lunch, and uh, Sophia and I, we were walking around. We had a different translator than the day before, and there was about four people, four guys sitting outside the bathrooms, and uh, I just started talking to them, asking them where they were from, Guatemala, Venezuela, Honduras, Mexico, so all, all different places. And they were just sitting there, not, not doing anything. Uh, so I was just asking them why they came, how they got here. I mean, some, some people, you're talking 28 days of travel uh, through the jungle, through different things, just to get to this place, to have hope that maybe you could get to the U.S., but really not knowing if that's going to be possible. Um, and uh, I have, I have my translator was Pastor Juan. You can see him kind of sitting on the ground right above my knee. And uh, I just started sharing the gospel with them. Um, and the more that I started sharing and interacting with them, uh, it started to be sort of like a mini sermon. Uh, but more and more people kept gathering around. And I thought, this is kind of odd. Like, like people just kept coming and sitting, and I didn't even know it, but behind me there was like more and more people um, that were gathering around. And unbeknownst to me, there was a baptism that was planned just down from me, and that is partly why there was all these different people coming around because they had told uh, the team and people in the camp that, hey, we're going to be doing a baptism. So here I am just, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like way off script at this point. I'm just talking about whatever. Uh, it's like a mini sermon. And uh, the more people that came, Pastor Juan is like very soft-spoken. So I'm like, are these people hearing what he's saying? And uh, I must have said something American-ish, and he didn't know how to translate it. So he looked at uh, uh, a son and a mom that were from the Oklahoma border, Texas border area that were a part of our team too. And they, they were from Guatemala, and they spoke Spanish. And the son just started translating and just kind of took over the translating. And he had this big, booming voice that was just perfect. It, w- it was perfect. So he's boldly translating, and I'm just kind of boldly speaking. And uh, they're holding off the baptism that I didn't even know was happening. And I, I would have probably like tried to wrap it up, but pastors always go long. So we were just, they were holding it off. And uh, by the time I get to the end, um, you're kind of feeling, you know, you're feeling the group out. Um, but uh, I got to the end where, where you're just saying, you know, so, so he, here's the truth. Like the things that you want in coming to America, the things that you're trying to escape from in your homeland, uh, these things can only be met in Christ. You can come to America, but you know what? We have the same problems there. The same brokenness exists. You'll run into similar violent situations or poverty or whatever the case might be. You're not going to escape it in this world, but the answer is found in Jesus Christ. 
uh, do, you, do you want to follow him? And uh, the man that I had showed before, I don't remember what picture's next. You can kind of see the group. But you can see, you can see, um, oh, Alberto, straight back in the vest. He's engaged the whole time. I mean, you, can, you, you just kind of get a sense of who's really listening and who's thinking, like, I wish this guy would just leave me alone. But he's, he's like locked in and engaged the whole time. And as soon as I, I asked, you know, it, it, do you want to follow Jesus? Is this, it, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? And uh, he was very quick to, to raise his hand. Some of the others were not. And uh, I took a moment to address, like, just so you know what, this is what you're saying no to. Uh, and, and this is, this, this, this is what uh, the end result is for that choice. Um, and some of them did make a profession of faith, but Alberto was, was very much engaged uh, with, with me the whole time. But God is on a mission to call people to himself, people like Alberto. Um, we, we talked about uh, baptism a little bit after that with Alberto, and uh, he wasn't quite ready. He said, well, I've already been baptized um, and, and we walk through, well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about a believer's baptism, that it is, it is a public profession and demonstration of this is what I believe now. This is, an inward, this is the outward sign of the inward reality. But he wasn't ready, and, and some will follow up with him. But God is redeeming people to himself so that we would tell others about him. You know, Abram, you think about the Genesis 12, Abram, He's willing to go to a land by faith that he's never been to before. And I think there's a, at least a challenge for us there. Are you willing? Are you willing to go? Maybe it's to a land that you, you've never been to. Maybe it's to a neighbor that you've never met. Maybe it's to a place that you're, you're very familiar and comfortable with, but you've never opened your mouth and the gospel has come out. If you're a believer today, though, God has not called you to sit on the sidelines and watch the world go to hell. He's called you to share this good news of the gospel. He's he saved you to proclaim his glory, to tell of his salvation, to preach Christ crucified to a people in darkness, that they would come out of darkness, come out from under the power of Satan but what we see in Genesis 12, through Jesus, the nations will be blessed. But Jesus is only known if we proclaim him. One final place we turn, and that is 2 Samuel 7. I should say final place before we end in Ephesians. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verses 12 and 16, I just want to, we don't have a lot of time to spend here, but I want to fast forward to King David page 263 if you need the page number. God gives David a promise as king of Israel. And here's this promise. Second Samuel 7 and verse number 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And jump down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, God will raise up an offspring of David, and God will establish his throne forever. Now Solomon's going to come as, as the king right after David. From, he is an offspring of David. He's going to be known as the king of peace. But Solomon wasn't the promised fulfillment of this offspring. Jesus would come and Jesus would be the king for his people. A king for all of God's people. And so the mission of God comes, even in, comes more into view. He's going to defeat his enemy. He's going to call people to himself. And he's going, to, he's going to raise up a king for those people that he has redeemed. A king that is eternal. 
a king that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed, this is all talking about Jesus, bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord And here's our purpose, to the glory of God the Father. You see see these things, these three passages even converge in the command that Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 28. Because how does Jesus start out? Right before he commands, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the fulfillment of this promise to David, this eternal throne And on this trip, I was able to witness people bowing the knee to Jesus. You have Pastor Juan here praying, and Nick praying with this young man to accept Christ as Savior. I already shared, but here's me praying with uh, Alberto. Now, Alberto, as I mentioned, said, look, you know, I don't know about baptism. doesn't mean that he, he won't ever be baptized, and I pray that he would follow through with that. But Osbaldo, the, the Mexican missionary, he shared with us that, that there is a genuineness about the faith of those who make a profession there in the camps when they're willing to be baptized. They, and they follow up with those, uh, f- those, first those who are baptized, then those who make a profession of faith, and then potentially others because they'll go in and disciple those people. But he says there's something about, and it's not just something like, oh, I wonder what this is. Well, God tells us what it is. Those who are believers will be willing to follow Christ in the waters of baptism and publicly proclaim and testify. Now, this is a very unique situation. You do have local pastors there on the ground, but these are people in these camps that, that, that come and they go, and, and you hope to connect them to churches and people in the states, and some do follow up with them and, and get their information depending on that relationship. Uh, but it's a very transient situation, a very unique situation, uh, which is partly why they would even do baptisms right there. But here, here, there's four baptisms. You were baptized in a barrel. Uh, here's the first lady. I don't know, I don't remember her name. Uh, but again, you see Esbaldo, and you see the guy right on the, the edge there, uh, Stuart, uh, which is his English name. He was the translator uh, from Oklahoma that helped me out there. You see uh, Juliana. Uh, we met her the first day, her and a couple people, and we started like, thinking, like, let's share the gospel with them. But as we started talking, uh, we realized that uh, they were Christians, and, and they had actually planned, they, they had gotten saved uh, in the weeks prior with Osbaldo, and they were planning on being baptized, but a couple of them, friends, weren't feeling well, and they wanted to do it together, so they were holding that off. So Juliana uh, is baptized. She gets she gets, she, they help her into the, the barrel, and as Baldo starts to speak and, and kind of share, again, he's explaining what baptism is, and uh, before he even hardly says a word, she, pl- she just dunks under and plunges herself under, like baptizing herself. And uh, everybody laughed, and, and as Baldo, you know, said, no, we're going to explain some things and, and then baptize you, uh, but, but Juliana, uh, I shared, uh, I showed the picture of the man that was sharing the gospel with his wife. Well, she was saved, and actually here is her husband baptizing her uh, right there. And then the last one that I'll show you is Carla. And you see uh, Juliana and Osbaldo uh, on either side of her. Uh, but she was so engaged in listening when I was in my like mini sermon thing and nodding her head in agreement. Uh, and she had, she had already been saved. She was one of the ones that was sick and, they, and, and friends with Juliana waiting uh, to get together. But I'm going to play an audio quick, clip. And as Baldo is speaking, and he has a little bit broken English, um, but it's about Carla. Carla here is the, is the, the, the lady in the white shirt. Uh, and he's going to reference an appointment in this audio clip. 
And the appointment is the appointment to, to uh, they're, they're, so they're wait, these people are waiting in the camps to have their name called to be able to come into the U.S. potentially as a, as a refugee. And they're waiting for the appointment. And, and when you get the appointment, it's, it's like the exciting time. Um, <coughs> so he's going to reference the appointment. But I just want you to listen to uh, this audio that was sent Sunday. So the day that I was flying back, it was the day after she was baptized here. So Carla um, here, she was invited by Juliana, the one that baptized herself yesterday. Uh, she was invited to this meeting uh, last week, and uh, Carla was testifying that she was willing to, to like to cross the river uh, in, uh, illegally. And uh, at that meeting, she mentioned that the, the Lord like made her think that I was was not correct. So she, she said, and you know, I am hearing the discipleship meeting right now and deciding to come back to Jesus. And at the end of the meeting, she said, I want to be baptized. And uh, yesterday, I mentioned before she got baptized, that there is joy in obedience. Always when we obey the Lord, there is joy. And today, this morning, she mentioned, I got the appointment. And I said, do you remember that there is joy in obedience? And she said, yes. And she was glorified the Lord this morning. So hopefully you could hear that. Uh, he, it was a little hard to hear, but here was a lady that was contemplating what we hear on the news, crossing the border illegally, uh, tired of waiting, and in the study that they were doing, was convicted that this would not be right. And Osvaldo encouraged her, when you, when you are obedient to the Lord, when you, when you put him as king and submit to him, there is joy in that. And it doesn't always work out like this. But the day following her baptism, she got the call for the appointment to come into the U.S. Um, examples like this, I'm sure, stories like this. This was one trip uh, in many that are facilitated to these camps. Um, but it's the fulfillment of what uh, was promised to David, that there will be a king for his people that would rule and lead and guide them. And I just have this quick video as, as we end. Maybe you can hear the song they're singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. Of course, in Spanish. Uh, so, but, you, but if you know that song, uh, it, the tune was probably familiar. And look, I could share more stories, but these stories will fade. They'll fade away. And if, and if, if it's stories that motivate us to share the gospel, then, then, then that will quickly dissipate. We must be motivated by the word. And the passages that we looked at, they just give a quick overview leading up to Jesus' life and ministry. Understanding that Jesus is at the center of the, of the plan. Jesus is the mission. And he was in the mind of God from eternity past. And it's through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated. People are called out to himself. And God's king sits on his throne ruling his people. This is the plan that Jesus calls us to in Matthew 28. It's God's plan A. And he invites us to be not just recipients, but participants in this plan. You see, every time the gospel is shared, God is at work to bring about the fulfillment of his plan. 
Every time we share the gospel and a person believes, Satan feels a little more weight on his skull. Every time a person believes, it is a testimony to Satan and to his forces that they have lost, that the king is advancing. Listen, I mentioned that I would end in Ephesians, and I need to wrap up. Hopefully, our kids are okay. We'll cut out the final song. But Ephesians 3 and verse number 7, it's a picture that what we've been invited into in the mission of God is far, far bigger than we could ever imagine. It's eternal mission work. God's mission to undo what was broken at the fall. And I can think of no greater privilege than to be actively engaged in this mission. And so I want to challenge you. Are you engaged in the mission? Is this what your life is about? Or have you been sidetracked to another mission in life? Because if Satan can't destroy you and keep you in darkness, he will distract you. And I want to read this passage in Ephesians once again. But I want you to personalize it. And look, I, I know it's Paul speaking uniquely about his, his role in, in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. But we know enough of what we're called to as Christians that I think we can personalize large aspects of this. So think about yourself and not just Paul. Ephesians 3 and verse number 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, is, which was working, or, or sorry, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, and we should all think this phrase of ourselves, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, and we, we would say for us, to all nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, personalize that, us right here, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Who's it being made known to? Not just the nations, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's close in prayer. God, as we 